With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. So one of the things that intrigued me about your company's website is you talked about 
uh, one of the things is detect anomalous be, uh, user behaviors. And you explained to me how that worked in the data protection realm. And I first wanted to ask you if you could explain that for my audience. But it seems to me that has a lot of implications and can be directly used in uh, my world, the anti-corruption world. So could you talk about anom anomalous data, user data? Sure. So the first thing is, um, in the data world, people tend to look at data as big black boxes. And what you really want to understand is kind of what's in the data um, and what's the value and what's the risk. So, for example, is it a um, company confidential document? Does it have customer information? Does it have implications to a bid? Um, and you want to look at that data and understand who's reading and writing and who's accessing it. Not so much for, you know, the typical, we're going to do a SHA-1 and make sure nobody's accessed that data. But you want to understand the content because you want to know who's looking at that type of content. Because if something leaks, you want to be able to try to trace it back to who actually read that kind of, that kind of information. And so when we talk about anomalous user behavior, first we understand what the content is. And then we get to know about the persona of the user. And then you start to look at people just doing things out of, out of, out of trend or out of ordinary. So if you, for example, were uh, off looking at the engineering chair, we'd all be looking at each other saying, why is he, you know, what is he doing over in engineering? And what is he doing specifically downloading source code for a new project? Right. Um, and, you know, the compliance guys actually are watching access to the data but they're not feeding that into the rest of the security. They're just doing it for regulatory concerns. And so the compliance team can actually be a really good source of you know, what the value of the data and what's in the data, because they already have models that show that. And they also know who's accessing the data and who could access the data. So that way, if you take the information from the compliance team, added it to the security team, and then put in a flavor of sort of the people who are shepherding the data, you can get that 360 view. Think about catching a crime in a video as opposed to having a photograph and trying to figure out, you have a photograph at time one and at time 30, and there's no clearly it follows. But if you combine these data sources, you can have a video of kind of what's going on, and then you can trace it back, and you can stop it. So anomalous user behavior starts with, what does the user do? What is the content they're interacting with? What is the time? And what have they done in the past? And you use that to answer questions. One of the things you talked about was a 360-degree review where you or your company would come in uh, and look at a client's data in that 360-degree view. Can you explain what that is and how you would use it to help a company assess its risks? So the good news is well, the way our product works is we're, 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 we assume lots of companies are data-rich and IT-poor. So you download our application, we do an inventory of what you have, we introspect everything you have. We, we work right now with virtual environments mostly. So we introspect everything you have and we start to trace who's reading and writing everything. So I like to call us, and you're gonna hear, you're gonna see the repeat is, if you think about Crayola, they have three colors, right? right? Three primary colors, but they can make, what, 64, 128 colors. We understand people, content, activities over time. And by being able to get all the content information, because we've inspected it all and done a full text index of it, um, understanding all the people who are interacting with it, um, and understanding the activities they're doing, and what they used to do, and what they're doing now, and sort of the patterns for the data itself, and then we have a history of what's going on, we can answer a ton of questions about, you know, was Tom data dumping, taking stuff when he was leaving? Was he, was he accessing a secure file that he had no business being in? Why were the permissions off? But permissions get messed up, so you need to be able to trace. Does that make sense? Yeah. The, um, one of the, uh, you've got some great analogies here, and uh, one of the ones is you talk about sending a, a daughter to camp. 
And uh, whereas a father might have one view on that, a, a mother might have another view. And uh, we took we laughed about that uh, in terms of um, the silos that every corporation creates. And it's clear to me from visiting with you that the compliance discipline within the data security in a corporation has a very deep dive of information. But that information may not be shared. So I was wondering if you could talk to talk to my audience about that analogy of the two parents and why that's more powerful than one parent. So if you're talking about sending your 12-year-old daughter to camp, you know, if you were if you were in a company today, you would just say, oh, music camp seems like a good idea. Let's send her to music camp. Suppose she's a jock and she doesn't want to go to music camp. Suppose she can't play an instrument, she's tone deaf, and she'd rather go play baseball. So you'd want to kind of know what she likes and didn't like while you're selecting what she's going to do. Um, with data, you kind of need to know what's in it, who's accessing it, what the value of it is, which the compliance team knows. I mean, that's their job, right, is to understand what's in the data for regulatory concerns. And if somebody were to ask them, they could probably tell you every asset that a person touched. So if you got ransomware, for example, they could tell you that Tom touched three, these three assets, he touched these 25 files, and he could have touched these. Right? The compliance guys know that, but the IT guys or the security guys don't go to them because they say compliance is in security. And I say, really? They, you know, If I were having a crime case, I would like to get the videos from every shop around the crime scene. And if I think about the compliance team, they have the video. They, they, they saw it, right? They have it. They know. So why wouldn't you go get that? They're part of that team, and you've got to break down those silos, or you're never going to stop data theft, data leakage, or data kidnapping. So one of the things that uh, certainly is applicable in my world is to assess your risks of corruption, of a bribe, of money leakage, of fraud. Would that also apply to your world of data security? Yeah, assess your risks, figure out what you care about, and your high-value targets, make sure you've spent more time on them. On your low-value targets, think about if you even need to keep them. Right? There's a lot of data out there that you don't need to keep, and so it's just a habit, right? because right. we're all pack rats, right? Um, if you think about it, when you move from house to house, you're probably taking boxes in the basement you never opened and moving them to the basement of the new house. And when you downsize, your basement just gets, gets more cluttered. Right? right? What you need to do is go through and say, we have a risk footprint, which is our data. We have a surface. Make that surface as small as possible and make who's allowed to access that surface as small as possible. Um, and you know you can. It takes it takes multiple people, and it takes a discipline. And you also have to understand your retention requirements. But your retention requirements aren't that they're required. It's live either. So you know, it's, you can really lock down access as well. Uh, one of the things you mentioned in your presentation this morning was training. Mm -hmm. And um, in my world, that's called training and ongoing communication. Does that also translate into your world of compliance as well? Yeah, you you need to train users, but unfortunately. Um, People are human, they make mistakes, right? I mean, I talked at the at the ransomware thing that I caused ransomware, and that's a huge embarrassment, and I can't believe I'm saying it again. Um, but it's very easy to happen to you because they're very clever. People are very clever. So training is important. Staying current with patches for software so you don't learn other people's mistakes. You only make new mistakes. Right. Right? And then you report that so that somebody else doesn't make it. Um, it's pretty important. Um, but train, understanding what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do, you'd be surprised how many people leave a company thinking they own the assets they created. They take customer lists, they take the source code they wrote, they take legal briefs. I mean, that's a form of fact. I'm a lawyer. I'm disabused of that notion. I understand. Right, but, but no, I actually have a case where a, 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 an associate lawyer took took everything she worked on and she was leaving. Ah. Right? I mean, and the company she worked for could sue her for nothing, right? So 
I don't know. So it was not. You just people don't think. Right. I, I like to think they're not malicious. I know in your world you probably tell me some of them are, but I know they don't think, right? They said, ah, let me grab my stuff, right? It's kind of like packing up my plant. I got my pictures. I got my data. You don't own that data. One of the things I did want to ask you about from your presentation was, I think I wrote it down correctly, which is a crisis brings clarity. Yep. And But the question I wanted to pose was, um, at least in my world, we typically don't want to be making a lot of decisions on the fly during the crisis. We want to have a process in place to at least help us guide our decision-making process. Uh, would, would, is that valid for your world as well? Should you have a, a recovery process in place? Yeah. So I say, for example, for ransomware, I say data has this thing called a disaster recovery plan. Right. You should have a disaster, disaster recovery plan for anything that goes against your data. I use the thing when panic comes clarity because now you have to focus on exactly what do I have to do to get things back. You're not worried about the peripheral stuff. Hopefully you had a plan in place and you're just executing to that plan. You're not listening to all this peripheral stuff about you got to do this, you got to do this. It's okay. I got to be up in five. We have an SLA. I got to be up in 10 minutes or some surgeon can't operate. Right. Or I got to, or the bank can't process transactions or the subway doesn't run. So you want to have complete, you're, 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 you're all over the place because you're like, everybody's yelling at you, right? And so you need to stay clear in mind about what's my mission and what did I do for training. So I say, with panic, you can't let all that other stuff affect you. You got to just stay focused and go to plan. Now, you got to look at the external data and see if you're, you're, you're deviating from plan, but people are going to pull you, go do this, go do this, go do this. And sorry, you can't see my hands moving, but um, you really want to stay focused on the mission and you want to have some SLAs so you know what's important to get back. Does what's that make an, sense? What's an SLA? Um, basically, it's, it's a service level agreement right. which says... My audience may not know. Okay, so service level agreement says you have a contract with your users or maybe a regulatory contract that says this will be accessible within this duration. Right. Right, and if you don't meet your SLAs, your customers, which are the users of your data, are not happy. And in some cases, you could be making regulatory requirements as well. Let me change the focus just a little bit uh, because uh, one of the things I write in and talk about is the responsibility of a board of directors of a major U.S. public corporation in oversight. Many boards of directors uh, don't have a data expert on them. They don't have an IT expert on them. Um, they may be filled with lawyers or other CEOs, but they struggle with how, what, what should be the, the role of the board. Do you have any uh, thoughts on really what a, a board should do? Because most of the information they get seems to be from the Wall Street Journal. So I think a board has set some of the priorities. You know, they help to set the priorities for the company. Um, and I think a board of directors really has to have um, very strong clarity in what is, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable within the company and how data is accessed and used. There should be a policy, um, and they should be reviewing it, right? Because your company, part of your board of directors is to help your company grow and to be successful, right? If you lose or get involved in a scandal, you could put your company at huge risk. So, so your board of directors needs to make sure that, A, you've got some budget in place, right? Because right. people always squinch on this budget because it's like, well, nothing happened last year, so we don't have to spend any money this year, right? Um, but they should be really saying, okay, so what's our plan if this happens? What's our plan if this happens? It's sort of like, if you think about it, you know, you've got a set of uh, generals looking at going into a battle plan and said, if we had to do this, what would we do? And they should be thinking about that to say, you know, pull in the COO or the CIO or the, C the CISO and say, look, this just happened to us. What would we do? Right? Walk us through what we would do. And don't let them hand wave with a bunch of pretty slides. No, say, what would we do? We're taking that hill. Or someone just took that hill and we're taking it back. What would we do? Keep what I'm saying is, what would we do? Not what would we say. What would we do? And do we have a plan?
Because a lot of people have these great plans that are not implementable. Right. So um, one of the other things uh, that uh, Data Gravity brings, or at least uh, discusses, is meeting your compliance goal. Can you explain how your company would help a uh, uh, corporation meet its, its compliance goals around data security? Okay, so for example, if you're, um, if you're doing PCI DSS, you want to know where all your sensitive data is, where your um, personal identifying information is, where your credit cards are, who's accessing, you need to be able to create all those reports. We just do that automatically for you, so you don't have to have a human doing that. And we do it in a way that you don't really need to know anything about security or compliance. We just build them for you. And we do them in a way that we don't expect you to have gone 20 years to school to be um, you know, a, a data expert or a data scientist or a security expert. We do it in a way that's very, very obvious. Because I'm, I'm a big person about, don't, ma don't make me interpret your results. Just tell me what I need to know and make it actionable. Make it impertinent, make it actionable, and make it brief. Right? In, in my world, at least. I don't know if that's true in your world. Yes. Unfortunately, we're uh, near at the end, uh, nearly at the end of our time, but I was wondering, Paul, if anyone wanted to follow up with you, could they email you? And if so, how would they do it? Sure. You can email me at plong at datagravity.com. Um, reference this podcast, and I'll get back to you, and I'll make sure I let Tom know you reached out as well. Well, Paul, I really appreciate you taking the time to visit with me. Your talk was fascinating, and this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you, and I think all our worlds are going to come together. If we don't, we're going to lose this fight. Indeed. This is Tom Fox. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you have not seen it, I have a new one-month podcast series highlighting one of the areas where compliance can more fully operationalize a corporate compliance program. This month, I'm focusing on the role of HR in operationalizing your compliance program. This podcast appears on my compliance network, which if you're listening to this podcast, you have access to. It's also available on Libsyn and iTunes. This is Tom Box. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report, and I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.